Keeping on with the archery peripherals we've been discussing, today we're going to talk about sights, rests, and releases. This is the Beyond Hunter Ed podcast, where the focus is on all the questions you wish were answered in the classroom and quite a few more. So whether you're an accomplished lifer or a complete newbie, and you're looking to discuss all topics hunting in an entertaining and unfiltered way, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Eric Jaitner. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. So today's kind of going to be a double. And what I mean by that is I really want to, with the start of the new year and kind of hunting season is winding down. Yeah, we're into the whole application season, but this is the time of year where I really like to get my kids out into the woods. And I want to talk about that a little bit. On the last episode, I mentioned that I was really excited. I was going to take my son out on his first quail hunt and it was great. He was six years old, is six years old, not was, he is six years old. And I took him out quail hunting, and I think one of the things that people have to get through their head before they go and take their kids out hunting is you've got to set expectations. So I knew that this may not have been my most productive way of hunting. That doesn't mean I wasn't going to enjoy it. So my son was very excited to get a quail. and. I'm going to spoiler alert here. We saw three didn't get any. They were moving well before we got there. I know shocking, right? But it doesn't change the fact that we both had a great time. I was really impressed. He's six years old. He put down six miles with me in the mountains with the dog and didn't complain once. I think he asked to get carried one time. And I said, well, that's what hunting is. You got to do a little bit of walking. And he just, okay, and stepped, you know, just kept going. So it was awesome. He was, he was a tough little kid, and he put in the time. Unfortunately, we didn't actually get a quail, but he had fun. He had fun, you know, getting out and looking at things. And we made kind of a game of it. So first, like I said, I explained to him, the idea that, you know, part of hunting is putting in miles. And so he definitely got the opportunity to feel what it's like to go out and hike around. On top of that, I don't know if your kids are the same way, but my kids love to correct, collect rocks, just rocks. Okay. And it was great. He's going out there and he's looking at all the rocks and trying to see which ones are the nicest rocks and he ended up bringing a rock home for my wife and a rock home for my daughter and you know of course one for himself and at one point we're walking and he just keeps shoving them into my backpack I swear my backpack had to have been 10 pounds heavier by the time we got back to the car because he just kept putting rocks in my backpack and it didn't really bother me I was going light anyway so anyway it was great though just to see him go out there and explore the environment. 
the other thing we really worked on was we we kind of made a game out of it, and that was to find the deer poop and find the deer tracks and everything like that. So there's some deer, and they're using the area. And I was picking up on some sign, not a ton, but enough that it was a pretty good spot for Southern California, honestly. And so while we were out there walking, and he was following me around, and I basically was saying, all right, every time you find deer poop, you, you know, that's a point. And if you get 15 points, we're going to stop and get McDonald's Happy Meal on the way home. And so he was, you know, looking everywhere, looking for deer poop, looking for deer tracks. And he got his points. And so we got a Happy Meal on the way home. But it was great because he was figuring out which direction the deer was moving on all the deer tracks. Um, you know, like how many piles of poop are in the same area and everything. So it was kind of like an introduction for him to scouting for deer, but making it a game. And, you know, just, just by finding the sign, he was going to get something out of it if he could find enough sign. And he did. So it was great. You know, I didn't set the bar super high. I wanted him to have fun with it and I wanted him to succeed. But it's something he picked up on. He learned to, you know, find the deer sign in the woods and figure out what the animal was kind of doing. You know, and then I'd ask him, so what do you think he's doing here? And I think he's eating that bush. or I think he's eating those acorns. And yeah, some of them were, sure. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And others of them were actually like, no, he's, he's got this down. Like, so just kind of, you know, make him use his imagination and think about why the deer sign is in the area that it's in. You know, even things like, well, why do you think the deer are walking in here? And, you know, I mean, sometimes it's like, oh, because it's just a really nice area to see. And it's like, okay, that, that, fair enough. Fair enough. Other times he looks around and it's like, oh, yeah, it'd be really hard to see something in here. They look pretty protected. And I, he didn't say it in those exact words, but he got that hint that, oh, this is probably a really good place to hide. And that one, I was like, all right, now you're picking up on it. You got this figured out. Um, and then eventually we, we progressed to even, okay, so if you were using a bow and arrow, where would you hide to try to get these deer? And, you know, he looked around, and at first it was like two feet, two feet away. And he's like, I'll just sit by this bush. And it's like, okay, all right. But how far can you shoot your bow? And then he's like, oh, further than that. And it's like, okay, so where would you sit? And then he started stepping it back. And eventually we got to the point where I'm like, all right, well, what if you had a rifle? How far, how far away would you sit? And he really started thinking about it and thinking about where the animals were moving. And you could see the wheels turning in his head. So it was a lot of fun. And these are just some. Things that you can do with your kids while you're out in the woods. Just, you know, kind of challenge them to brainstorm. Give them something. You know, I mean, my kid's six, so Happy Meal is a big deal. But, you know, if your kids are a little bit older, maybe maybe it's ice cream. Maybe it's a video game. Maybe it's whatever. Whatever you want to do. But just, you know, something to keep them engaged. Turn it into a game. Um, it really makes the time go by a lot faster. The other big thing that was important on this is, like I said, he's six. We pushed six miles. We did take a break, and he took a two-hour nap. It was great. 
he pushed the first three miles and was just, I mean, he was tired. He was dog tired. He, you could see it in his face. He was just like super excited, all ready to go, but his eyes were closing. So I said, all right, let's go back to the car. We'll get a little bit of, you know, we'll get a little snack and then we'll come back out here this afternoon when the, when the quail are going to be moving a little more. Okay. Okay. So we get back to the car. And he lays down, and I think it took him about two minutes to fall sound asleep. And we're out here driving on, you know, backcountry roads, definitely four-wheeling. You know, you can feel the back tire sliding a little bit. He's sleeping. He slept through the whole thing. That was how tired he was. And uh, it worked out well. Woke him up, and he was, in, you know, ready to go again. And so that was the other thing that I really wanted to hit on one teach him how to use the equipment, get out there. You know, he was learning how to use a compass. I would ask him, you know, what direction are we going? And he would look at the compass, read it. And, you know, he'd tell me we're going to the E or we're going to the W or the N. And I was like, good. All right. He's getting the basics of the compass down, how to, you know, point it in the direction that he's walking and read what the compass is saying. That that's a good start. Navigation's on its way. So that was another big key that I was like, you know, just break it down into easy pieces that they can bite off real quick and learn. But other than, you know, learning those pieces, scouting, the compass, all those things, it's the idea that this isn't going to be where you're pushing 16 miles in a day, where you're really just laying down tracks and you're really just going just to be successful. Like to me, when I went out there, Success was him having a good time, him seeing nature, me watching him just interact with it. And, you know, it was icing on the cake that he didn't even, he didn't even care about his tablet and, you know, watching TV all day. He was just like, oh, this is great. And I I ate that stuff up. So basically to sum it up, where I'm going with this is, this is part one of the double feature is when you get your kids out there. I really like the idea of make it a game. Teach them something specific. If we're scouting for deer today, teach them to read deer sign. Teach them how to use a compass. And don't expect them to go all day hard the whole way. Hey, most adults can't go all day hard the whole way. So don't expect your kids to because that's not the point of it. And above all, make it fun for them. I mean... We got home. He was disappointed. He was he was bummed for the first, you know, 20 minutes about, oh, I wish we would have got a quail. I really wanted a quail. And then uh, I said, yeah, me too, buddy. But next time, next time. And he was like, yeah, next time. So he's already excited to go again. And that, I think, is that's the key. Just cultivate that excitement to get outside. So that's part one of getting your kids into the woods. I'm going to go into this in a later episode because both my kids really do enjoy getting outside. I'm really fortunate with that, but I do think there's a lot of things I've done to kind of push them in that direction without getting them to the point where they're like, God, dad, leave me alone. So maybe that's coming. They are only six and eight. Maybe that's coming that they're going to get to the point where they're like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But for right now, they're moving in the right direction. It gives me some time to, you know, really connect with them. And that, that, that is a key. That's one of the big things about hunting that I think sometimes we lose in our pursuit of 
accomplishment is the family aspect. And we talked about it a little bit in earlier episodes. The fact that I still go to Wisconsin. I still hunt with my dad. I did an entire elk hunt with my dad. And, you know, I want to be able to have those things with my kids as they get older as well. And that's one of the things I think we don't want to lose is the the deer camp atmosphere, the hunting, the family atmosphere of hunting. The, everybody gets together. Yeah, there's a goal in mind. But at the end of the day, we also want to really encourage, you know, just the camaraderie that goes with it. So that's, that's my spiel on that. Let's dive into the sites and the other accessories for archery. So starting off with, again, I'm not sponsored by anybody, but I'm going to talk in broad terms, really, about sites and what, what I like out of a site and what I don't. So currently right now, I'm running what they call as an anchor site, and it's the predecessor to those IQ bow sites. Honestly, I love it. I really do think it helps set your anchor point, make sure you're in the right spot, especially if you have a hard back wall. So you're drawn all the way back in. You lock into your anchor and you're either on or you're not. And it, it tells you. So I do think that IQ site does have some merit. Um, on top of that, one of the things I really like is a three pin adjustable site. That's where I'm headed right now. I like that setup because you can set your pins to 20, 30 and 40 yards. And then you can adjust from there if you need to step further and further out. And the reason why I like 20, 30, 40 yards, and we'll talk about this in a later episode, is that once you start getting beyond 40 yards, your gaps are going to get quite big. And what that means is you're going to actually have to dial into pretty close to the exact yardage. Within 40 yards, gap shooting is not a problem. But as you step out and as that arrow, the gaps are getting bigger, you're going to start wanting to get, you know, I mean, eventually you're going to get to a point where the difference between 61 and 63 yards might be 8 inches. And at that point, you really do want to be like, okay, what's the range? Oh, it's 62. I can dial it to exactly 62 yards and take that shot. Okay. So that's where that, that three-pin slider really does help is where you can make the faster shots because the gaps aren't that big a deal. Go ahead, do it. But when you can't, because your gaps are going to be too big and you have to be more precise. It really does kind of set you up to regulate yourself. And you can do this based on your own setup. You could go 25, 35, 45, you could go 20, 35, 50, whatever makes sense for your setup. But it does regulate you so that when you get out to those further distances where it is more precise with the rangefinder, you really do have to dial that in. And that's why I don't think you need to go much bigger than three pins with a slider there. I think it does great. So sum up my look on the sights. You know, honestly, they all work pretty well. I, I'm i partial right now to HHA. I've been using them for the last few years, and I, I really do enjoy it. I know my dad is running the IQ. He really enjoys it. 
a lot of guys like black gold. I mean, you really can't go go wrong. But what I would steer you towards is something like a three-pin slider. Um, make sure that last pin is adjustable. And that'll really step you out and get you some range there and some flexibility in it. As far as rests are concerned, the way I look at it is you've got basically two main rests, a shoot-through and a drop-away. And we talked about this a little bit with the fletching episode on the last episode where we discussed the advantages of a drop away, especially with being able to put a much heavier helical onto your fletch to make your arrow more or your shot more consistent. It's going to spin it. It's going to control that broadhead a lot better. Obviously, the downside to the drop away is it's a moving piece. So when you're in the woods, I haven't had one break on me yet, but let's just say I can see the idea that a drop away could break or could have something go wrong with it more than I could say a whisker biscuit or a shoot through rest, a shoot through. I mean, it's just there. It's sort of like a fixed blade broadhead. It's a chunk. It's a piece. It's right there. There's really not a lot of room for failure. Um, the drop aways, like I said, I've never seen one go bad shot thousands of shots through the bows and I haven't had one malfunction on me but it would be a terrible time to have one malfunction, you know, stay up, stay in the up position when you let go, when you got an elk down range. It's something you got away. I still shoot the shoot or the drop away just because I do think you get more benefit as far as the accuracy down range as well uh, and the ability to set up the arrow the way I want to. So finally, I want to talk about the last part releases. And again, you're going to have a couple different ideas. First, we're going to talk about how it attaches to you. And then we're going to talk about how it attaches to the string. And what differences I've seen with that. So how it attaches to you. Primarily, I've seen the wrist strap and the handheld. So wrist strap and handheld. Honestly, I do like the wrist strap for hunting purposes. I like the handheld. For target purposes. Um, the wrist strap. it For hunting purposes. The benefit of the wrist strap is it's on. It's there. It's just you don't have to worry about losing it. The handheld. Man. That is a bad day when you lose your release. And you're out hunting. And if it's just sitting in your pocket. Currently I'm hunting with a handheld. Just because I'm still hunting with my back tension release. And the reason is I developed a bad case of target panic a few years back, and this has really helped it. I'd like to go back to the wrist strap. I would like to go back to a wrist strap that I set up to be a back tension release. That may be the best thing for me right now because I really do benefit from the back tension. But, you know, a lot of guys, they, they still shoot the trigger and, and you can shoot it just fine. It's, you just have to be disciplined with it. And again, this really does matter where you're hunting. Okay, so if you're hunting in, say, a place like Wisconsin where your longest shot that you're expecting is 20 or 30 yards, that's a big difference from hunting out west, hunting in Colorado, hunting in Wyoming, uh, or even in California here where it's wide open and you're, I mean, 30 yards, that's, that's pretty close for a shot here. You're expecting, you know, 40, 50, 
and I'll shoot even out to 60 yards here. There's a big difference shooting 60 yards and 30 yards as your max range uh, on a deer. So, you know, you don't have to be quite as accurate at 30 yards. And that builds in some forgiveness. So let's talk about how it attaches to the string. And you really have the hook or you've got a caliper release. And the caliper comes in from both sides and the hook, just exactly what it sounds like. It's a hook that hooks onto your D-loop. And honestly, I haven't seen any real difference in their functionality or their ability to work. What I will say, though, and what I do want to warn you about is if you get two releases, make sure they're both the same. So if you have a wrist strap that's a caliper release and a handheld that's a hook, and then you try to shoot them, you are going to have different points of impact because they do let go of the string slightly differently and you get just a, a little bit of variation and it can add up to, you know, three, four inches at 20 yards is what I found. So make sure that if you're going to alternate between releases, Maybe you're going to be shooting one for indoor and one for hunting. At least make sure they're both a hook or both a caliper. And I know I was going to say there's just those two, but I want to talk about how the release actually fires as well because there's some differences there. And you can either have a trigger release. These are primarily on your wrist straps. And even then on your handhelds, this is where you get into the back tension or... um. Really, you have the back tension or the thumb release. And back tension can be a lot of different things. The basics of it is as you pull through the shot, it fires itself. I really do like that for, especially for somebody learning how to work their way through target panic. If you're a punchy guy and you like to punch that trigger when it gets on there, you may want to look at a back tension release. It's got a learning curve. Make sure you practice at a safe range before you go, you know, anywhere else with it because you're probably going to fling one or two getting used to drawing with the, with the back tension release. But if you work with it, you know, for a couple of weeks, you're going to see that you really can't time the shot real well. So you just have to set up and have good form. And we'll go through the form in our shot sequence episodes that's coming up. And we're going to really break down a shooting sequence and why it's really important for you to have a shot sequence. So with all that said, we covered a lot here today. And uh, well, before next time, take a look at, you know, what you want to do with your accessories to your bow. It's the off season. It's time to start looking at if you want to make changes and what you want to change to. Maybe if you are a punchy guy, maybe it's time to try out a back tension release. See if that helps you. If you're trying to extend your range, maybe you might want to add a different sight and maybe get a three pin slider and see if that can extend your range out a little bit. Or maybe you're, you know, thinking about last episode and you're saying, Hey, I kind of want to try this drop away rest thing. Well, now's the time to make the changes because you got a time to set it up, work with it a little bit. And if it's not working with for you, you still have time to go back to what was. And then think about if you got kids, how you're going to get them out in the woods. So before next time, give that some thought. How you're going to get your family involved 
if you want to get your family involved and what changes you want to make to your current archery setup. And I'll talk to you guys on the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond Hunter Ed Podcast. And as always, if you have questions, please email us at questions at beyondhuntered.com or you can find us on the web at www.beyondhuntered.com. Thank you.